right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Another big show coming up today here on RCST. There's a lot to get to. We are going to get to a little bit of reaction to what Travis Goff and Lance Leipold had to say earlier today about uh, the Gateway Project, about the contract, and plenty more. Uh, We'll get into that coming up later on this hour. Probably going to get to that audio on tomorrow's show. Uh, There's a lot of it, by the way. They both both spoke for over 25 minutes, so we'll try to get to as as much of that as we can uh, coming up on tomorrow's show. Uh, before the weekend at 405 we'll do our k mailbag there is still time to submit questions you can head to rcst1320 on twitter slash x you can also hit us up on the text line here if you're listening live and want to submit a question 785-843-1321 send us a text with your question you can also go to our email rcst1320am at gmail.com to submit a question that way if you're not a social media person so that'll be at 405 uh, at 4.40, voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney is going to join the show to talk all things KU. And at five at 5.05, very excited about uh, having head baseball coach Dan Fitzgerald join the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk as well in the 5 o'clock hour. So lots to get to on today's show. As I said, we'll also hear from Bill Self. Uh, he's speaking with the media right now, uh, previewing KU and Baylor. We'll play that audio coming up on tomorrow's show as we dive into a... Uh, as we dive into the <clears throat> the uh, KU and Baylor game, uh, more coming up on tomorrow's show as well. Uh, so we'll get into that. He did speak with the media post-BYU. So did Hunter Dickinson and Johnny Furphy. We'll get to that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. RCST, as always, is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And off the top, you did want to get to more takeaways, KU basketball takeaways from their loss against BYU. Uh, 76-68, Kansas loses against the Cougars. It's their first loss in Allen Fieldhouse this season. And uh, KU had been really good at Allen Fieldhouse for the most part. But in this game against BYU, it was a bit of an ugly game, a closer game. And I kind of mentioned, you know, in a game like that, it's fine if you're going to play again like that if you're Kansas. In fact, typically you win those games if you're Kansas down Fieldhouse. But when you have a team like BYU that comes in and shoots the, from three so much, and in a game where points and possessions are really tight, BYU hits a couple threes here and there, and all of a sudden it can feel like things are getting out of reach. And that's that's a little bit what happened late. KU was able to answer with some threes late in the game, but it wasn't enough. Uh, I think the biggest positive, we'll start the positives from this game. To me, the biggest positive, and honestly, you could speak you could actually spin this as a negative at this point, but the, the biggest positive was definitely Johnny Furphy's explosiveness in transition, his ability to get to the rim in transition, and his playmaking ability for KU, especially in the first half. 
and his rebounding. Johnny Furphy ended up getting, he ended up nabbing nine rebounds in the game, almost got himself a double-double with 10 points. Uh, so I think Furphy was definitely the biggest positive. Now, on the flip side, he goes 0-5 from three, so that, that's a big negative for KU. But I think you could also make the argument about this being a negative in the sense that, man, the more the more, the more Johnny Furphy continues to play well, the higher and higher he keeps rising on NBA draft boards. And that could be a negative from the standpoint of, man, Furphy keeps playing well, which is a positive right now, but it's a negative in the sense that he could end up going to the NBA. But yeah, he had a, I thought he had a great game, especially in the first half. And really, really uh, took some guys off the dribble. I know Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World pointed that out on the show here yesterday, talking about Furphy more attacking off the dribble as well and scoring. And and again, in transition, he was fantastic. He showed his athletic ability and I think showed his toughness as well with, with rebounding as well in the game for Kansas. So to me, that was definitely the biggest positive uh, for KU. I also think KJ Adams in the first half specifically was a big positive for Kansas. He was really good in the first half as well for Kansas. And I thought had a really, really strong half. In the first half alone, KJ Adams had nine points. He ended up with 11, so only got two points in the second half and missed, missed some shots in the second half. But uh, I thought he was really strong in the first half as well uh, for Kansas as, as sort of that energy guy, that spark plug guy uh, overall for KU in the first half. And, dude, beyond that, I mean, listen, in a loss, obviously it's more difficult to find some positives uh, because beyond that, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to find some of the positive things. So, Kansas loses 76-68. Uh, let's, let's get to the negatives then. I guess we'll just go ahead and go to the negatives here of this loss. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, obviously, from the free throw line, a big negative. You know, Kansas as a team goes 19 of, 20, uh, 19 of 31 from the free throw line. But Hunter Dickinson accounts for nine of those misses. He goes 6 of 15 by himself. So, uh, you know, you can look at the box score and say, wow, KU really struggled from the free throw line. Well, it was really just Hunter Dickinson. Uh, DeJuan Harris goes 4 of 6. Nick Timberlake goes 6 of 6. Furphy goes 2 of 2. KJ Adams goes 1 of 2 from the line. So you take away Hunter Dickinson, and Kansas went, what, 13 of 16 from the line uh, besides Hunter Dickinson. So it was really specifically just a Hunter Dickinson problem at the line uh, for KU, which is incredibly frustrating, right? Because you go back to this idea that, well, Hunter Dickinson's not getting to the line as much as he was at Michigan. Is that because of the officiating the Big 12? Is it more physical? So he's, it's kind of hurting his game a little bit. Well, now he does get to the line a lot in this game against BYU, but it doesn't matter because he can't hit. So that was obviously a, a big negative. And naturally, I fell into the trap. Man, earlier in the week, Monday and Tuesday, talking about Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris, oh, he's all the way back. All the way back for Dewan Harris. Consecutive games of zero turnovers. Well, four turnovers in this game to six assists. He did end up with 12 points. Didn't hit, it, didn't hit a three, though. And especially late in the game, it felt as though Kansas was in a situation where late in the shot clock, it was give it to Dewan Harris and try to let him create something. So I don't I don't think this is entirely Dewan Harris's fault, but I, I do want to point out that that ball handling, you know, four turnovers for him after he didn't have any in the previous two games uh, for Dewan Harris. So that was that was unfortunate. That was unfortunate that, uh, that I kept saying that. Uh, that he, I thought he would, uh, you know, he would he would uh, continue to, to trend upward if then he has a game like this. But I don't think it's all his fault. Uh, I'm hard-pressed to put KU's three-point perimeter defense in the negative category. I mean, BYU hits 13 threes, but that's, that's, that's what they do. That, you know, that's part of their game plan. You know, they jacked up 34 of them. I think in certain moments, KU's perimeter defense 
broke down in certain areas that led to some three-point shots for BYU. But I don't think, on the whole, KU's perimeter defense was really that bad, per se, uh, in this game against BYU. They're just a team that's going to shoot a lot of threes, and they hit a lot of threes. Uh, I mean, I guess you can look at the free throws for BYU. Both teams end up hitting the same number of free throws, 19. BYU was just much more efficient. They did it on 24 free throw attempts to Kansas' 31, like I talked about with Hunter Dickinson being a big factor in that. So uh, that that was uh, a bit of an issue, I guess you could say. Uh, I think a big negative for me, and I've talked about this, a big negative for me was just the lack of killer instinct from Kansas in a game like this. Like, I understand you don't have Kevin McCuller, but... Uh, you know, again, I talked about this. To get up 12 against BYU early in the second half, you've got to push that even more because they can hit threes to get back in the game. And Kansas was unable to do that, and that that did allow BYU to hang around at least. You know, you look at BYU. BYU only led in this game for about three minutes, and most of that three minutes came at the end of the game. Kansas led for over 30 for almost 36 minutes. So. That that's a bit frustrating. That uh, that lack of killer instinct, maybe in the second half, where you weren't you weren't able to really really push just a little bit more to try to not put it over the top and really knock BYU out, uh, which is the the unfortunate thing uh, for 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 KU in this game. So that was uh, that, that's a negative for me. I think that they weren't able to kind of put that put that uh, killer instinct into play in this game. Uh, against against BYU, but you look at the rebounding. KU ends up out rebounding BYU. They did a pretty good job in the offensive glass. Kansas did, so that wasn't really a negative. The turnovers were Kansas had four more turnovers than BYU, but I wouldn't say that was really maybe what defined the game. Uh, I think you could look at KU's three point shooting, and I think maybe if you just highlight specifically Furphy and Timberlake, that's a bit of a negative. You know, I know they hit two threes late. I mean, but. Prior to about three minutes left in the game, Kansas was one for like 11 from the three-point line in the game with Jamar McDowell hitting their only three. So I know KU's not going to hit a lot of threes, but you want to see Furphy and Timberlake at least, I guess Furphy more specifically, at least hit a couple, and that didn't happen. So that's a bit of a negative uh, in the game as well for Kansas. Uh, In terms of the biggest neutrals, I think uh, one of the biggest neutrals for KU was... Uh, their bench was the the platoon strategy of the bench. You know, I think in the first half it really worked pretty well, but I think we also saw the flaws in it or the potential flaws in it where, you know, you had a situation where Johnny Furphy picks up two quick fouls. You had a situation where you you kind of needed to play Parker Brown a little bit more than with, you know, than Hunter Dickinson. I think it was, I think there was some flaws in it. And I think this game really showed that. And, and Bill Self kind of touched on, you know, and he, and he talked about this after the Texas game where it was, he basically kind of, you know, said that this was kind of a work in progress, right? Uh, so I think that was pretty clear that it was it was going to be a, a work in progress and something that was not going to be a, a one-size-fits-all type thing. Uh, so that made a lot of sense t- to me that there needs to be some tweaking to it. And, and listen, I think Texas was also a good matchup for it, right? Kind of talked about the smaller guards that Texas had. And, and again, I think in this game, it did, it did have some success, but there was definitely some drawbacks you saw as well. So I wouldn't say it's totally back to the drawing board with trying to figure out how to utilize the bench for KU. And I do think that this system that they've tested out with Texas and now BYU, I think it's definitely something you can go back to. I just don't know if it's something that you can rely on 
as the only way in which you're going to sub, right? I think there's too many other factors involved, right, with foul trouble, with maybe matchups, things like that, to where you may need to, to get other guys in. And, and uh, Bill Self is speaking with the media or has was speaking with the media earlier this afternoon, which we're, we'll get to that audio tomorrow ahead of the Baylor game. And he mentioned Kevin McCuller seemingly is doing a little bit better, is improving, and they hope to get him back. Didn't totally rule him out for the game against Baylor, but uh, again, kind of mentioned that he would need to practice today and tomorrow to ensure that he would play against Baylor. So, so you know, that that also obviously throws kind of a, a, a wrench into this whole bench rotation platoon strategy is if you have Kevin McCuller, then that's just an extra body where maybe that does switch up how you do it. So uh, that's why I think it was a neutral because I think it at times it did work, but it, it certainly demonstrated the areas where it, it wasn't as effective in the game uh, for KU. I kind of mentioned the rebounding. I think rebounding was a bit of a neutral for KU. They ended up out-rebounding K, uh, BYU 40-38, to 38, but and they did get some offensive rebounds, but didn't really get uh, much second-chance points off of it. In fact, KU had four more offensive rebounds than BYU, but BYU had nine second-chance points. I think they hit a couple threes, actually, off of uh, some, some second-chance opportunities, where KU just had two second-chance points off those offensive rebounds. So that's where maybe offensive rebounding can be a little bit a little bit misleading because you look at the second chance points. And again, it was BYU that really made the most of those opportunities that they got with offensive rebounding in this game uh, against Kansas. So that is something noteworthy that, uh, you know, the rebounding I think was probably a bit of a neutral. You look at uh, turnovers, BYU had seven, KU had 11. I mentioned this when previewing BYU, you know, BYU is not a team that really statistically turns the ball over much because they typically are just, hoisting threes, right? Where if you're a team like Kansas, where you're passing the ball a little bit more and, and, and not that BYU is not passing the ball, but just, you know, entering it into the post, things like that, you you have more likelihood of potentially turning it over, I think, versus just if you're just going to be around the perimeter trying to shoot a bunch of threes like BYU did. So, I don't know. I think that's a bit of a neutral as well in, in the game uh, for KU. Just, just uh, you know, I think DeJuan Harris with the four turnovers hurts, but Again, I don't know that this, that was necessarily a defining moment uh, in the game. You think about all the fouls that were called throughout the game. I guess you would throw that in the, I don't know what category you'd put that in, just kind of in the hmm category maybe with uh, all the fouls that were called, especially in the second half. You end up with a technical foul that goes against uh, Mark Pope late in the second half. So, I don't know, file that under the hmm category maybe uh, for that one. But overall, uh certainly, you know, the biggest negative is just you lose the game, right? And now you're sitting at 9-6, and six, and the the focus kind of shifts now to, I think, staying in the top four of the Big 12 just so you don't have to play an extra game potentially on Wednesday of the of the uh, Big 12 tournament, right? Is just staying in the top four of the Big 12, and that's that could be much easier said than done. And that certainly the, the chase for that to be, stay in the top four now really hinges on this Baylor game. Right, I mean, if you lose to Baylor but you beat Houston, it may that may not that may end up actually still being a net negative for you if you're Kansas because Baylor could potentially still then leapfrog you in the uh, in the Big Twelve standings. So it's it's almost that almost puts more importance on this particular game against Baylor because it'll be a game where you can get a win on them and they would you know it's kind of you almost get a two for one situation where you would improve and they would drop because otherwise you lose against Baylor. And you got TCU, BYU, Texas Tech all sitting at eight and seven. If any of those teams win, it is going to be an absolute cluster 
of teams right around that three, four, and five spot. And that's not an area you want to be in if you're if you're KU. So I don't know. Maybe in a weird way that does put some extra, even more extra significance on this game uh, against against Baylor coming up on Saturday. And uh, we'll dive more into the KU Baylor game coming up on tomorrow's show. We'll play some of that audio from Bill Self uh, that he had earlier today, earlier this afternoon, just a few minutes ago. Actually, uh, he wrapped that up. They, you know, KU basketball. Obviously, they, I don't expect them to work around my schedule, but you know, obviously here on the show we start at three o'clock. They just always make those press conferences start at about 2.45 to where it's uh, it's difficult to get that that audio right away. So we will uh, get to that probably on tomorrow's show as me more preview KU and Baylor. It's a big one for the Jayhawks down in Waco. The biggest thing from from Bill Self today is that Kevin McCullough's status seemingly questionable for tomorrow against Baylor. Uh, seems like he's maybe improving, but I guess uh, we'll we'll wait and find out and see. If, uh, if Kevin will be able to go against Baylor and, and what he might look like uh, against the Bears. So we'll talk more about that coming up on tomorrow's show. Later on in the show here today, we are going to get to takeaways from Lance Leipold and Travis Goff and probably play some of that audio as well on tomorrow's show. We'll get to our KU mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. You still have time to submit a question if you'd like to. Head over to RCST thirteen twenty on social media at RCST1320 on Twitter slash X. If you want to submit a question, DM and or reply to our tweet uh, with the mailbag. If you want to send us a message on the text line here, if you're listening, you can do that right now at 785-843-1320 with a question for the mailbag. That's coming up at 405. Uh, We'll get into some KU women's basketball talk. Also in the 4 o'clock hour, they had a win last night against UCF. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney joins the show at 440. Uh, head baseball coach Dan Fitzgerald is going to join the show at 5.05 as KU uh, has their home opener coming up for baseball tomorrow uh, against Texas Southern before they get ready for conference play. Excited to have that conversation coming up at 5.05. And uh, we'll get to some Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson, Johnny Furphy audio from the loss against BYU on Tuesday night. Didn't get a chance to get to that uh, yesterday because of the shorter show. So we'll play that coming up at the 5 o'clock hour as well. Don't forget also after the show tonight, High School Sports Weekly, We'll be hitting the airwaves at 6 o'clock right here on KLWN with the Lawrence High Track and Field Team and the Eudora Girls Soccer Team. That's live from Mama's Tamale Shop, and you'll be able to hear it right here on KLWN as well. We'll take a timeout. We also got to get to our pre-conclusion hit of the week. That's coming up next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Almost half past three here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017. And 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to our KU mailbag. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join the show at 440. And in the 5 o'clock hour at 505, head head baseball coach Dan Fitzgerald will join the show as well here on RCST. We'll get to some takeaways from what everything Travis Goff and Lance Leipold had to say coming up on the other uh coming up here in just a few minutes here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Gonna get to every gonna get to the audio of everything they said. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to most of it on tomorrow's show. Uh, they both spoke for almost 30 minutes, so we're going to try to get to as much of it as possible uh, coming up on tomorrow's show. Might get to a little bit of it even later, more, more breakdowns of it early next week as well here on uh, on RCST. Right now, it's time for our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week, brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball. But in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. 
When you look at our basketball leaderboard for the Pearson Collision Hit of the Week right now, KJ Adams has three. Kevin McCuller has three. And Marco Jackson won. Nick Timberlake won. Ernest Uday from TCU won. Wilder Avers won. And Johnny Furphy with one. Now, I didn't get to this earlier in the week because I also I did I kind of wanted to get a big enough sample size from both the Texas game on Saturday and the in uh, the BYU game. And when you include the Texas game on Saturday, it seems like there's an obvious choice here with Nick Timberlake hitting the rim on the alley oop dunk uh, in the end one from Dewan Harris early in the game against Texas. That would seem to be potentially the op- the most obvious choice. Furphy had some good plays, some good dunks as well. You had Marco Jackson hitting uh, Hunter Dickinson with the behind-the-back pass for the layup also against Texas on Saturday. And when you look at the BYU game, there were some some Furphy dunks in the BYU game. Uh, you also had Hunter Dickinson and Nick Timberlake hitting two threes late against BYU as well, back-to-back. That was obviously significant for Kansas, even though they still ended up losing the game. Those were... Two big shots. So a lot of good options here for the for the uh, hit of the week uh, brought to you by Pearson Collision. Uh, uh, this is tough because I think the Nick Timberlake dunk probably deserves it. I mean, it got on SportsCenter, but the Marco behind-the-back pass was pretty sweet, hitting Hunter Dickinson on the pass. Uh, you had, again, Timberlake and Dickinson hitting the threes against BYU late. Kind of the combo there, I think, make makes that makes those intriguing as well. Some good options here for the uh, for the Pearson Collision hit of the week. So sometimes I will break this down by okay importance in the game, right? You think about the dunk by Timberlake against Texas. K was up ten, I think, at the, at the time. Same thing with behind the back pass from Marco Jackson. K was already in control of the game. The threes from from Timberlake and Dickinson were certainly more impactful, more important. Uh, for KU in the BYU game because it, it literally kept them in the game at the time. So I'm almost tempted to go with those. Plus, we haven't had a combo yet uh, on the uh, basketball side. We did have a combo on the football side, if you remember. It was, you go back to the Texas game. Uh, we go back to the uh, Texas game in football, you had the Daniel Highshot touchdown assisted by Jalen Catalan and hockey assist by Jason Bean, who was hit by Catalan, who fumbled right into the hands of Daniel Highshot. So we could have the first combo here with Timberlake and Dickinson uh, with the consecutive threes against uh, BYU. And I'm almost leaning towards that. I mean, I don't know. But, it, dude, again, a, a Timberlake Sports Center top five dunk. And El Marco with the behind-the-pack pass hitting Hunter Dickinson. You know, that's the other aspect of this. We, I, I like to try to include, on the, on the football side, it's easy to include the hits. On the basketball side, you find different ways to try to, you know, hitting, you know, hitting uh, Dickinson with the pass. And, again, you look at our standings. KJ and Kevin McCuller have, each have three. But El Marco has one. Timberlake has one. Uh, coincidentally, Furphy only has one also. So, uh, coincidentally, Hunter Dickinson is not, has not made our, not made our list, our basketball leaderboard so far this season, which, uh, Ooh, I don't know. Yikes on that one, man. (laughs) Uh, man, this is tough. You know what? I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the, geez, I'm going to go with the Marco pass, go with the Marco behind the back pass. So that'll give Marco Jackson his second on our uh, hit of the week leaderboard 
behind the back pass, hitting Hunter Dickinson, showing off his confidence as a, as a passer. I like that one. You know, uh, the, the consecutive threes from Dickinson and Timberlake late in the game against BYU, they don't win, though. So, I don't know. Plus, it's my leaderboard. I can do whatever I want. So, I don't want to mark a Jackson here. And Marcus behind the back pass hits Hunter Dickinson for the layup. That's our Pearson Collision hit of the week brought to you by Pearson Collision. Pearson knows accidents happens, and they understand the stress and pressure when that does happen. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair at 7th of Connecticut here in Lawrence. And Pearson is always looking to add to their team of artists. A rewarding career with awesome pay, paid holidays, and weekends off. Pearson Collision Repair strives to hire only the best, and they want you to apply. If you're committed to excellence, want career growth, and want career growth, come join the award-winning team. You can go to the Pearson Collision Repair page on Facebook and apply. That's a Pearson Collision hit of the week here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We get to some takeaways from everything Travis Goff and Lance Leipold said uh, in their press conference earlier this morning relating to all things on the Gateway Project, on the new contract that was signed yesterday, all that and more. We'll break some of that down, some of the highlights of that. Like I said, we'll probably get to the audio of everything they said on tomorrow's show. We'll get to most of it on tomorrow's show if we can, of everything they said. So we'll just break down some of the highlights coming up on the other side. Caleb, back coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Still have time to submit a question. You can hit us up on RCST1320 on social media. Or if you're listening live, you can hit us up on our text line, 785-843-1321, with a, a, an RCST mailbag question to get included coming up at 4.05. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join the show at 4.40. And and head head baseball coach Dan Fitzgerald will join the show at 5.05. Really looking forward to that conversation. All that and more coming up. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Welcome back into Rock Chuck Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have a KU mailbag. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is on the show. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll hear from Dan Fitzgerald. He's going to join the show as well with KU Baseball having their home opener coming up tomorrow against Texas Southern before they get ready for conference play. And also in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to some Bill Self audio from Tuesday night after the loss against BYU. We'll hear from him along with Hunter Dickinson and Johnny Furphy. Parker Brown and Bill Self spoke with the media earlier this afternoon ahead of the Baylor game. We'll get to that audio tomorrow as part of our full preview of KU and Baylor coming up on Saturday. Don't forget, after the show tonight, you can hear High School Sports Weekly right here on KLWN as well from 6 to 7 after the show tonight. All right, earlier in the day today, earlier this morning, Lance Leipold and Travis Goff met with the media talking about KU football and about Lance Leipold's new contract as well. And they had plenty to say uh, regarding this uh, everything that's been happening with KU. Uh, you have Goff talking about Kansas' commitment to Lance Leipold, to football, and everything, so on and so forth. So uh, a lot to get to from uh, both these guys. Uh, first off, 
Travis Goff met first with the media talking about everything involving the decisions to move games to Children's Mercy Park and Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, one of the things he said was that he was really surprised at how unanimous the support was for that decision by KU. And, you know, I think it got to a point with a lot of KU fans where, and, and, you know, if you go all the way back to the original announcement of this Gateway Project last summer, one of the things that I said was, this is this is KU's one opportunity. They they cannot afford to have this be messed up in any way, right? Like, this is a an absolute home run swing from KU in terms of the financial investment and the resources that are being put into this project. They really need to get it right the first time, and it really needs to be as good as it can be right away. And that includes the timeline for getting this project done, right? The last thing you want to do is have a delay, especially when you're trying to build your new football stadium. So I think for a lot of KU fans, it kind of got to the point where, okay, let's give up home games at the booth if it means that this project can stay on time or even or, and get done in a timely manner, right? I think that's that, that for a lot of KU fans, and for myself included, right? I think I kind of took the same position. It's like, all right, you know what? This project, as I said, it needs to be a home run. It, it's it, KU has one shot. They can't really afford to have this thing go awry on them because of the investment that they're putting into it and the time and effort and resources uh, that they're putting into this. And so if forfeiting some games at home, forfeiting all your, I guess, all, next, I guess all, your, all your games at home uh, this season means that you can get that project done in a timely manner in the way that it needs to be done, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's probably where a lot of support comes from. And, you know, whether or not that was something that was on the table, you know, obviously we mentioned, you know, you had the, the two weeks in January, or what you know, what felt like forever in January, where it was like negative 20 degrees that may have slowed things down a little bit <clears throat> on the construction side. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think there's a lot of KU fans that are really too upset with this move just from the standpoint of, okay, all your eggs essentially are in this gateway project basket. This needs to come through and it needs to come through in the right way and on on the right timetable. And if that means having to play some games at Children's Mercy Park and Arrowhead Stadium, so be it. So I think that's where a lot of the fan support comes from. And I think that and again, I think I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. And I think that KU certainly probably weighed that decision. Goff talked a little bit about that. And I think it makes a lot of sense uh as well. Uh one of the other things that, that Travis Goff really touched on was the idea of this is not just about football, it's about, you know, alignment and continuity and, and the greater good of the entire athletic department and KU as a whole being a part of it and saying that, you know, hey, this is just the beginning. And, you know, this is where I kind of touched on this yesterday, but man, you you've 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 got the new contract with Lance Leipold. You better make sure you're you're also compensating Travis Goff for for the work that he's doing. And I know Goff Goff is a KU guy, so I don't think there's any scenario where he would ever, you know, leave at this point really. And he's done, I think, a really, really a great job so far of uh, of of bringing everybody in and, and doing an, an incredible job of, of keeping this thing going forward. And he's obviously now leading the charge on some significant significant changes. Uh, one other thing that he did that Goff did also mention was he said that it is explicitly in the contract for KU that if KU football does make it to the college football playoff this year, that Arrowhead will be where they would play that game. So, uh, and I think it was interesting when he said that there's no hidden language there. It, it specifically addresses the college football playoff. And I think that's kind of a given, right? I think once this was kind of announced, and I know people are talking about KU being a, a you know, you win the Big 12, you get to the college football playoff, and you have to play at home, and you, you would get to play at home if you're a top four seed. Well, you'd be playing at Arrowhead Stadium, which on one hand is awesome. On the other hand, I am a little disappointed in that because I do feel like, man, Playing a home game for the college football playoff, that just sounds 
awesome. I mean, that just sounds incredible. Uh, and, and I think at Arrowhead, it would be fun too, but man, yeah. So I have mixed feelings about that one, but I mean, obviously you can't play a home game at the booth because it's not there right now and you're, it's going to be under construction. So, uh, so I guess that's, that's something that is worth noting, but shouldn't come as a surprise really at all, truly. Uh, and then I, I thought it was interesting with Goff talking about the, the stuff beyond football, because I think, I don't know specifically but part of this gateway project with building the stadium, in order to get KU on board as a whole, I think K, I think Goff and, FF and the athletic department had to recognize that they did have to kind of talk this up as being beyond just football and more for the greater good of the entire campus as well. So uh, that's 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 something that's that's worth noting as well. And also Goff talked about you know the instability of college athletics, and he basically said for KU the focus is to being is on being the best version of itself today and going forward and having the confidence that, you know, that will position that the department and the university for more success in the future. I think that's kind of an interesting comment. Uh, I think maybe you could read between the lines on that as being something along the lines of, you know, hey, okay, what if the Big Ten is, you know, I know there's been reports that maybe the Big Ten is not going to expand anymore, but if that's if that opens up, does, is KU ready to possibly do that? You could read between the lines on that a little bit, I guess, with Goff potentially on a quote like that, but uh, after Goff spoke, it was then Lance Leipold who stepped to the mic as well, talking about his contract and everything else. Uh, and the big thing for the big notice, the big couple things with Leipold was first off, he said, "Don't believe everything you read about the uh, about maybe." And I think that was kind of talking about the Washington stuff and about everything else. But uh, so he maybe said that he he maintained that conversations between him and Kansas were always healthy, and as it relates to him sticking around. Uh, KU and the other big thing uh, the other big thing I kind of wanted to point out here with Lance Leipold was talking about the he was asked about his assistant staff changes basically and the interesting thing there was he said that he and Travis Goff put together this is a direct quote from Lance Leipold put together packages that were equal or better than what they took referencing or to what they took referencing uh, referencing the loss of Jordan Peterson along with uh, Scott Fuchs and Andy Kolnicki. And so that that's really fascinating, right? That he would say that to say, okay. And I and, and I think it makes more sense now that I kind of digested that a little bit because I think part of that is Lance Leipold saying that not necessarily as a dig at the guys to say, well, why'd you guys leave? I think it's more about him saying that publicly to, to kind of say, okay, if you're a, a coach looking to move up, KU is not a place where it's not a stepping stone anymore. It's a play. It's a, it can become a destination for you, where you can come and work, and you're going to be compensated fairly and at a high level for for your job. So I think this is more of Lance Leipold saying to potential coaches in the future that may be looking for jobs to say, "Hey, listen, Kansas, it's not a it's not a stepping stone. It's a destination." But I did find that interesting, right? And I think that just goes to speak that from a from a prestige perspective, KU still has a ways to go before they are maybe are at that point. You know, if you're Lance Leipold and Travis Goff, you can say those things. And certainly, if you're backing it up with the legitimate offers behind the scenes, you know, if you're backing that up with with the legitimate money and whatnot behind the scenes, that's important to note as well. But but it is important, you know, to note that hey, listen, a place like Penn State, a place like Texas A&M, the NFL, those are more prestigious right now, even still with even even with, even with what you're building at Kansas. So, you know, I think it just goes to show a lot of progress has been made. But at the end of the day, for some coaches. You know they're going to look at some of those other positions and say, "Hey, 
I've got more opportunities here or whatever. And Lance Leipold said he was good friends with all three guys. That makes a lot of sense. He's obviously worked with uh, two of those guys for quite some time, Cole Nicky and, and Fuchs, uh, different locations. And then with, with Peterson, kind of the same deal. I think he's probably certainly earned a lot of respect with the way that he kind of rose up. So no hard feelings at all, I don't think. But but still, Kansas is in a position now where they can they are closer to becoming a destination than they ever were. That's I think that's a guarantee, truly, for, for possible assistant coaches. But also you do have to recognize some places are still going to be more of a draw than maybe than maybe Kansas is. But I think KU did a great job with who they replaced with, so I think they've got to be pretty happy. Lance also made a comment about the uh, about money with his contract, uh, and basically saying if it were about money that he wouldn't be here. I think I think that's got to be pretty true, right? If Lance Leipold was simply looking for a cash grab, he probably would have already left Kansas maybe even before this last season, right? Because uh, I'm sure he was I'm sure he had the potential possibly to, to to make a lot of money, and you know I don't know what Washington's offer was, but I think it was probably pretty significant if there ever was whatever the legitimate offer was. So. I think that's uh, that's noteworthy, right? And I think it makes a lot of sense because if it was just about money, Lance Leipold would not be here. Lance Lance Leipold, I think, now is in a position where maybe he's thinking more of a legacy. And, and again, Lance Leipold is like one or two seasons away from build the statue. In fact, probably there are some people that are saying build the statue now, right, for Lance. So he, he, he does have a chance to go down as, you know, one of the greatest – coaches in KU history if he can lead this team truly to a Big 12 title to you know the college football playoff and beyond this season and even going forward into future years as well so uh, yeah if it were about money if it were only about the money I don't think Lance Leipold would, would be here uh, and so that that's pretty significant right I think that shows that okay it's it's not really ever been about that but but to, to say that I think really maybe might ease the minds of some people as well uh, a couple other things that Lance Leipold said here. The biggest one was talking about uh, he talking about he wants KU to be an and school, a a basketball and football school, and make it a destination job for future for future football coaches. He said that as well. And again, that kind of just circles back to I think without a doubt KU is much closer to that than they've ever been, probably in the past, but still with probably some work to do, right? With some work to do in terms of like prestige and whatnot. But but. Uh, yeah, he kind of he kind of mentioned the stepping stone concept of KU being a place where it's a stop along the way, and I think he he is more interested in making that a destina- making this a destination. Uh, also, I mean, to that end, he talked about when uh, they looked to replace Jordan Peterson and Scott Fuchs recently that they were getting lots of people sending, blowing up his phone with resumes and getting lists of lots of names to fill those positions, and that's that's always good to have. Uh, also, he highlighted the importance of NIL as well, which I think makes a lot of sense. And I think behind the scenes, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing, right, with KU right now is is getting that NIL support to help maintain players and to help possibly bring in new players, right? I think that's a big deal behind the scenes at the football level as well. I thought some of his comments about the spring sh- game, quote-unquote game, showcase, so to speak, were interesting. Uh, he kind of basically said that they're actually trying to make it not important at all, essentially. Uh, that, that's kind of what I take away from it is that he's trying to just minimize the importance of the spring showcase game, whatever you want to call it. By the way, that's going to be at Rock Talk Park this year, uh, which is cool, I guess. But, uh, yeah, some, some interesting comments from him on there to basically say, 
Yeah, we're uh, he. This is I also a direct quote from Lance saying, "Coaches have taken it upon themselves to reduce the importance of the spring game." So, you know, the showcase maybe not as important as it has been in the past, and I think that's probably just a health thing. And he and Lightpole kind of touched on how they've got some experienced guys where he doesn't know how much necessarily a spring game can help. So the spring showcase slash game, whatever you want to call it, maybe turning into more of an opportunity for younger guys to try to to show what they can do a little bit. Uh, which I thought was interesting. And then certainly maybe the the biggest storyline in Henry Greenstein, we talked with him about this a little bit on yesterday's show, with Jalen Daniels, right, with Jalen Daniels. And uh, Lance Leipold was asked kind of directly about Jalen Daniels and basically said that he's moving around, doing doing stuff. Kind of, I mean, it was, it was sort of a non-answer answer. Kind of basically was like, hey, you know, uh, Daniels is doing stuff. He's moving around. He's doing well. But uh, he's working out and whatnot, and uh, then he had a he. Lance Leipold also mentioned that he's more interested in he doesn't really care as much about what Jalen does in the spring as much as he is in August. Which listen, there, I mean, I'm that's fine with me, right? I, I that I'm, I kind of agree with that actually. I don't care what you do in in in, in April. I want to see what you do in August and September and, and going forward. So I guess that's a little bit true. I know probably a lot of K fans are just antsy to see Jalen Daniels in action just to see kind of where he's at, but. Uh, I don't think there should be any concern about Jalen Daniels like getting worse or being bad now that he hasn't kind of played in a while. I still think he'll be fine. Uh, so that was also something else noteworthy from everything Lance Leipold said. So as I said, we'll probably play some of this audio from Goff and Leipold coming up on tomorrow's show and maybe have some more reaction to it. They both said a lot. Those were just some of the, kind of some of the highlights that I kind of gleaned from everything they said. So we'll get more into uh, kind of what they said. And uh, and you'll be able to, we'll play the audio of what they said coming up on tomorrow's show a little bit as well because as I said there was quite a bit that those guys discussed and a lot to break down from everything that they did but those were kind of some of the highlights from uh, Goff and Leipold earlier this morning that we'll probably get more into tomorrow and maybe even early next week as well with uh, KU spring ball approaching coming up in the four o'clock hour. Hit our KU mailbag at 4.05. Kansas women's basketball got a big win last night on the road. We'll talk about that. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join the show at 4.40. And KU baseball head coach Dan Fitzgerald will join the show at 5.05 as well with KU baseball having their home opener tomorrow, by the way, against Texas Southern. Uh, also get a chance to hear from Bill Self and Johnny Furphy and Hunter Dickinson post-game against BYU from Tuesday. I didn't get a chance to get to that yesterday because of the shorter show, so we'll get to that in the 5 o'clock hour. And then we'll get to more Bill Self and Parker Brown on tomorrow's show as they spoke earlier this afternoon ahead of the Baylor game. And we'll be previewing everything with KU and Baylor coming up tomorrow as well. One hour down here on RCST, two to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Coming up later this hour, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join the show. And at 5.05, uh, the head baseball coach for KU, Dan Fitzgerald, is going to join the show as well. You know, I've been dealing with a bit of a sickness. Uh, I've been trying to battle through it here on the show over the past week or so. And, you know, I was thinking if there's one thing, there's one thing that could cheer me up that could maybe make me feel a little bit better, maybe feel a little bit less sick. It's my favorite segment of the week. That's right. It's the KU Mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As always, thanks so much to everyone that submitted questions for the mailbag this week. If you would like to submit a question, 
you can submit anytime, and we will get to your question as uh, soon as whenever the next mailbag is. Uh, you can head to our social media page on Twitter slash X at RCST1320. DM us, tweet at us, whatever you, whatever it may be. Uh, if you are not a social media, social media person, you can head to our Gmail, rcst1320am at gmail.com. And you can also, during the show, text live a question if you'd like on our text line, 785-843-1321. You can send that as well to be added to the KU Mailbag. So, as always, thanks so much to everyone that submitted mailbag questions for this week. First up on our KU Mailbag for this week. First question comes from Michael. Do you need a co-host of RCST to run the board now that you're running the show? Well, in short, yes. Yes, I do. We are actively looking for someone to possibly uh, join the show here and uh, and help help a brother out. You know, uh, It was great with Derek, obviously, and uh, really happy for Derek and his endeavors in his career. But but yeah, no, we are actively, lo- we are actively searching. So if you think you've got the chops uh, to join RCST as a co-host with me, you can uh, have that opportunity. Just reach out to us here. So uh, thanks so much for the question, Michael. Yes, uh, you, you, there's a possibility, yes, that you could uh, you could come on the show. So, uh, yeah, we are looking for somebody. We are actively searching and uh, appreciate the question. And if you are interested, feel free to uh, to reach out and we'll see if uh, we can get you on. So thanks so much to Michael. Next question comes from Jeshua. This is a wild question. It's going to take a lot of information to try to break down here. Jeshua says, do you accept this trade-off? Okay. Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift get married and bring an NBA franchise to Kansas City. But the name of the team is the Kansas City Swifts, KC Swifts. Do you take it? How much do you love or hate it? Okay. There is a lot to analyze from this question. First off, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift getting married. I'm all for that at this point. I mean, I think it I think it it would be almost like the perfect ending, right? I mean, what would be bad I think would be them breaking up and Taylor Swift releasing a diss album and like totally dissing on the Chiefs. And then all of a sudden the Chiefs are going to have so many more haters than what they already have. Because you know every Swifty would instantly hate the Chiefs. I mean, it, it would be instant. There'd be no questions asked. The Chiefs hate would skyrocket. So listen, that means that let's break, let's break this down. Let's take this through logically. Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey dating right now. What are the two scenarios? The scenarios are either they break up or they get married. Objectively, them getting married is the better scenario, I think, for the sanity of Chiefs fans, probably, and just uh, everyone not hating the Chiefs fans. So I'm all for that. I'm totally good with that. You know, I like Taylor Swift. Listen, I'll be honest. Her music is pretty good. I like listening to, her, to some of her music. She's got she's got good stuff, you know? If you're going through a breakup, Taylor Swift has got you, man. Let me tell you. Uh, or if you just want to listen to some deep music, she can get you some of there too. So, so she's got a lot of different stuff. I like Taylor Swift. So I'm down for that. So the first part of this, I'm good with. The second part, bring an NBA franchise to Kansas City. I'm also fine with that too. I know this is something that a lot of Kansas Cityans and people in the area have been interested in. And for me, I'll take you down memory lane a little bit. You know, growing up as a kid, uh, I grew up in Wichita. So, you know, about you know two and a half hours from Lawrence, almost three hours from, from Kansas City. And, you know, my dad is from Kansas, from, from the Wichita area, my mom as well. And my dad, obviously, huge Chiefs fan. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a Chiefs fan. I, I have, I cannot remember my life not being a Chiefs fan. I mean, literally from the second that I, you know, was alive, I have been a Chiefs fan. And a lot of that has to do with, with, with my family, with my dad. You know, we would watch Chiefs games together every Sunday. 
and it was a very, very special thing for us. Every Sunday, calendars cleared for watching the Chiefs together. The first jersey, I remember I got pictures of myself when I was like three years old wearing a Derek Thomas jersey. So the point being, I've never known my life not as a Chiefs fan, not as someone as a fan of Kansas City sports, as a fan of even the Royals. You know, my dad wasn't as big into baseball, but, you know, Royals I am a fan of. I don't follow them as closely, but, you know, Chiefs, whatnot. Well, I've never really been a big NBA guy, really. And I think a big part of that is because at the time that I was growing up, there was no NBA franchise that was particularly close or there was no, or, you know, that my dad would root for, right? You know, as a kid, I was, as a kid growing up, it was pre the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, you know, they moved to Oklahoma City, I don't know, probably around the time that I was in middle school or high school, I think. So I kind of missed out on that, on, you know, kind of lending my, my I guess, uh, fandom to them. Right. So growing up, I was never and even now I'm not really a, a big into the NBA. I don't really follow the NBA that closely. You know, obviously I, I watch in the playoffs and whatnot, but I'm not I don't pay attention to any particular teams. You know, I, I'm not watching a lot of game. I'm not, I'm not watching a lot of regular season games uh, and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that as a kid, when I was growing up, there was no team sort of nearby necessarily to root for. Right. I mean, pre Oklahoma City Thunder, you think about it. I mean, you got Chicago, you got Denver. You got Dallas. I mean, those, all three of those are probably the same distance from, you know, sort of the Kansas area, so to speak. So I was never really a big NBA guy, and I'm not an NBA guy. But what I will say is, if Kansas City added an NBA franchise, I would probably become an NBA guy. I would certainly pay a lot closer attention to it during the regular season than I do now, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm good with that. I'm down with the NBA. I'm down with that. So, okay, we've gotten through Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, get married. I'm good with that. I accept that. I'm accepting they bring an NBA franchise to Kansas City. I don't really know how Taylor Swift, in, Taylor Swift's influence would affect bringing an NBA franchise to Kansas City, but we'll just ride with it for this hypothetical. Now comes the tricky part. The name of the team is the Kansas City Swift or Swifts, KC Swifts, whatever. You accept that. Uh, I think I've been on record on the show saying this. The Kansas City Chiefs, for example, Kansas City Royals, any of, you know, Kansas, the Jayhawks, not that Kansas would ever do this. The the teams that I have always lived with and rooted for, those teams, and I know people will probably disagree with this. This is just my opinion. Those teams could change their names to literally anything, anything that you could possibly think of, and I would still be just as much of a fan of them as I am now. The Kansas City Chiefs, they could become the Kansas City Silly Nannies or the Kansas City Wussies or whatever. I don't care. I'm a fan. Kansas City Royals, same deal. They can change their name to whatever. The Kansas City We Suck at Baseball team, the whatever. The, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to follow them. Kansas, you know, they get rid of the they get rid of the Jayhawk and they decide to be something stupid. I don't know, whatever. It None of that matters to me. I'll still be a fan. And I, in fact, I'll proudly wear their merch. I will wear a Kansas City Silly Nannies jersey, Kansas City Wussies, whatever. The name doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. So, with that in mind, the issue here, though, is that would be the name immediately, right? Like, if I was a kid and the Chiefs were the Kansas City Wussies, I would be maybe more hesitant. When I, you know, so it's it's kind of this idea of first becoming a fan, right? Kansas City Swifts, I could probably get on board with that. I think, uh, you know, I was thinking this: what if they go with the Kansas City Swifties as their name? I, I'm more interested in that, but 
overall, I'm kind of fine with all of this. Like, I'm good with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey getting married. I'm good with the NBA bringing a franchise to Kansas. I'm good with them bringing an NBA franchise to Kansas City. And the name of the team doesn't really matter to me. So I'm kind of good with that, too. So overall, I'm kind of down for this. I really am. I'm kind of I'm kind of good with this. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'll take it. I'll take the deal. That was from Jeshua, by the way. Next question here on the KU Mailbag. This comes from Sam. Why did Lance not get more years on his extension? Did he not ask? Or is it KU trying to save some money? This is a good question. And my immediate response to this, a couple things. My first response is age. I mean, let's not let's not let's not beat around the bush here. Lance Leipold is is not a young buck. He's he's about to be 60 years old. And his current deal goes through what, 2030 now? That he that he just signed as well. So through 2030. So that's going to put him, you know, in his mid-60s, basically, or, or I guess late, actually, yeah, mid to, mid to late 60s. He'll turn he'll turn 60, by the way, on March 6th, in case you're curious. Or on May 6th, excuse me, May 6th, sorry. Uh, he'll turn 60. So I think it's an age thing, truly. I think it's an age thing. I think it's a question of how long does Lance really want to coach beyond that point? I mean, I know you see a lot of coaches nowadays that do coach longer, and you see a lot of coaches, you know, I guess not so much at the college level, really, but at the NFL level, you see coaches. I mean, it, you know, there was the whole Andy Reid re- retirement situation, fiasco, whatever you want to call it. Bill Belichick's not retiring. Uh, so it's possible, obviously. But the so through the life of this extension, it, it would put him at basically 65, 66. And then I think at that point, you probably have to have a conversation to where, okay, do you want to keep going forward here? So I think that... I think age, to me, was kind of my first reaction to probably what played a factor in it. Uh, I don't know if it really has anything to do with KU necessarily trying to save money. I mean, maybe there's a there's some kind of angle you could look at with, with KU where it's like, okay, Lance is on an upward trajectory and we want to compensate him for that and we, we expect the continued success. But, you know, what if there's a decline and we kind of get stuck on the back end having to pay – you know, I mean, you can flash back. I mean, what Kansas? Kansas might still be playing. Kansas still might be paying Charlie Weiss for all I know, to be honest. You know, so there's, I think there's issues with that, right? Where it's like, you don't want to get stuck with so much on the back end of a long of a, of a deal like that, to where you end up having to, you know, if, if for whatever reason you have to, obviously you don't expect Lance Leipold to be fired, but you know, you, you get the point, right? You don't want to be stuck so much. So maybe that maybe that's a factor at all. I don't know if that's so much KU trying to save money. And, you know, with, with the question of did Lance Leipold not ask, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe Lance Leipold went the other way and said, hey, I don't actually, I'm not actually looking for more years. I'm just looking for more money and I'm looking for more on the NIL front. I'm looking for more support in other areas. You know, maybe that was part of it. Maybe it was, it's not necessarily about that specifically. So I think it's an interesting point uh, that you're right. It isn't, it's not an, it's not an extension "Quote unquote," it's really an amendment because it's there's no more years added. And yeah, I don't know behind closed doors what the conversation was. Again, I would think maybe age to me would be the biggest thing that would stick out. And again, maybe on the maybe on the KU side, they're thinking, "Hey, we don't want to get stuck too much on the back end here." So it's it's a good question. Uh, it's one that you should definitely consider. And there obviously are a lot of angles to consider with that. But, yeah, maybe that's part of it. 
Maybe that's part of it. Uh, next question comes from Jeff. Jeff says, what is your concern about Jalen Daniels for the spring? It's a good question, Jeff. Uh, my concern level with Jalen Daniels kind of touched on this in the last segment. My concern with Jalen Daniels is not so much in the spring. You know, I know I think a lot of people are going to be clamoring to just see Jalen Daniels kind of throw the ball or see Jalen Daniels doing football-related stuff. I think that's what a lot of people are maybe most interested in, and that's probably going to continue to be the biggest storyline of, of the spring season for now, I think, for KU. When, I, I don't know, I don't know if that's right, rightly or wrongly, that's probably going to be the case. You know, obviously, the quarterback position is the most important, and, you know, Cole Ballard at this point is going to be a backup with no Jalen, with no Jason Bean. So, it's interesting. But my concern level is not particularly high. This is one where I actually do kind of side with Lance Leipold when, uh, with his comments he made earlier today, which is, I don't really care what Jalen Daniels does in the spring. I care more about what he's doing in August and September and once the season starts. So, it's not something that's a really a big concern for me. Like, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if Jalen Daniels is healthy, he's going to be good, basically. And as of right now, I have no reason to believe that he won't be healthy by the time the season starts uh, with what he's been dealing with. So I don't know. But I do think the question, I, I do think, you know, if this is something where it keeps popping up, now you have to raise the question of, man, what kind of injury is this? Is this something where it's like, it's just going to cripple his entire football career? I don't know. Uh, so there's, I guess there's some concern from that and from that angle, but yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm just not that worried right now. I'm just not that concerned. I, I know there's, like I said, I know a lot of people are probably going to be really oogling and ogling over, oh, I want to see Jalen Daniels throw the ball. Let's see Jalen Daniels in action, which is fine. Just to know that he's, which, which that's that's fine. And I, and I understand that sentiment. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not that concerned going forward just because of kind of like like what I said. I mean, and like I kind of agree with that light bulb. It's, it's, what, it's what's, what's our guy doing in July and August? And then into September when the season starts. That's more important than what he's doing in April. Now, obviously, you would like to see him doing stuff in April. That would probably increase your level of confidence. But I don't know. My concern level for Jalen Daniels, fairly low right now. I don't, I don't really have any reason to be concerned at this point. So I don't know. We'll just leave it at that. All right, that's our KU Mailbag for this week. Once again, thanks so much to everyone who submitted questions for the KU Mailbag. As always, you can submit questions on our social media page on Twitter slash X at RCST1320. DM us, tweet at us, whichever way uh, you'd like. You can also uh, hit us up on our email at RCST1320am at gmail.com. And uh, you can also, during the show, if you have a question, you can text it in our text line at 785-843-1321 if you have a question you want to get in as well. Uh, if you have a question you want to get in, didn't get to it this week, don't worry, we'll get to it next week. We answer every question we get, try to at least, as best we can. So uh, please feel free to submit questions anytime uh, throughout the week, and we'll get to another KU, another KU Mobag coming up next week. Once again, thanks so much to everyone who submitted questions for this week. That's the KU Mailbag. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join the show in less than 20 minutes. And KU Baseball head coach Dan Fitzgerald will join the show at 5.05 as well with KU Baseball's home opener coming up tomorrow against Texas Southern. They're going to play a series uh, against Texas Southern coming up this weekend. 
And I'm sure they're pretty happy. I kind of want to, I kind of want to ask uh, Fitzgerald about this. You know, you go back to the weather on Tuesday and when Tuesday night into Wednesday, and I'm sure they're thrilled that it's looking like we're going to get back up into the 70s over this weekend, uh, which should make for great baseball weather here in Lawrence. Coming up next, we'll get into some K women's basketball talk. They had a game last night. We'll break that down and hear from Brandon Schneider as uh, KU continues to fight for a chance at an NCAA tournament berth. That's coming up next. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and right now we are joined by voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney here on the phone here. Uh, Brian, kind of a, a, you know, a, a great Saturday for Kansas going back to the game against Texas. And then on Tuesday, things kind of fell apart for KU at home a little bit. But going back to that game against Texas, one of the things I didn't want to ask you about is KU kind of introduced or Bill Self introduced a, a new sort of rotation with his, with his bench guys coming in. And it seemed to work pretty well against Texas. Uh, I was just curious kind of what, what you thought about that and maybe how it played out for them in, in that particular game against Texas. Well, you know, this goes back to a conversation he had, gosh, going on three weeks ago now, maybe two and a half saying he had to make a more concerted effort to get guys more bench time to have fresher legs in crunch time and that he was going to chart it out and, and make a pretty clear effort multiple times a half to get guys like Hunter and Juan off the floor, Johnny Furphy, KJ, all these guys that do the heavy lifting. And I think we saw how exasperated and exhausted physically and mentally drained the team was after the uh, overtime at K-State, and, and obviously now playing shorthanded five of the last eight games without Kevin McCullough, you're asking even more of these guys. So he uh, has done a great job, and you know, typically you leave two, two veterans or two established stars on the floor with three reserves coming in, and he stayed true to that. And I think the guys that have come in as part of that you know, three-man substitution pattern, by and large, have done a pretty good job trying to keep the ball raised to a Similarly high level, but uh, the whole in-game result is just trying to trim even three minutes per game off the workload of his heavy lifters. And it may not sound like much, but he believes it will lead to a big-time difference in late-game scenarios. Now, it didn't help the other night as, as we uh, you know gave it up late. And, gosh, I, I saw the stat on Twitter that this was the first time in 11 years we led inside of five minutes in Allen Fieldhouse and didn't win, but uh, certainly, you know, disappointing, and we can get into the, the how and the why of all of that if you want, but bottom line is he's doing all he can to pull strings and push buttons still to get the most out of what he has to work with, and at times they look like great moves, and, and then at other times, you know, you, you just have a Nick Timberlake go one of nine, or Hunter Dickinson six of 15 from the free throw line on a night when he shoots a career high of attempts. He has arguably his worst game as a collegian in shooting free throws. So they're trying to make the most of, uh, of what they've got and hopefully to get Kevin McCullough back soon. The team is practicing right now, and since I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm not in there to see Kevin's status. The coach said earlier today that if he could practice at full speed today and tomorrow as a shot, they could get him back on Saturday in Waco. Otherwise, you shift your focus to senior night versus Kansas State and uh, Kevin perhaps becoming the first player to ever give two senior night speeches in Allen Fieldhouse history. We'll see. But uh, it's just encouraging that they're talking about possibly 
seeing him return and, and you know what it would take to get him back. Because I think a lot of folks read into some of Coach's post-game comments on Saturday and even Tuesday about you know if we get Kevin back and if we're able to be whole again. And they, they probably you know, jumped to the conclusion there. If anything, in studying Coach for 20-some years now, that, that seemed to me like a little bit of a motivational ploy or a challenge being issued. Um, because I don't think that we've ever thought Kevin's not going to be back at some point. The question is, what version of Kevin comes back? Is it the November-December version that was a midseason first-team All-American and, and looked like a national player of the year candidate? Or is it a guy that's labored to score and struggled with his efficiency while playing through the discomfort of the bone bruise? There have been a lot of 4 of 14 and 5 of 17 type lines when he's tried to play first and he's just not looked in rhythm and like the same guy. But you can't convince me, Nick, that if, if he's on the floor on Tuesday night, we don't win that game because regardless of what he would have done offensively, this is a guy who for back-to-back-to-back seasons has been honored as one of the nation's top defensive players nationally. And you can't convince me he doesn't at least trim three fewer threes off that total of 13 that BYU hit just with his presence on the perimeter. And then offensively, Hunter's not shooting 15 free throws because Kevin's probably shooting 10 or 12 of them. So that's one where we absolutely would have won if McCullough was there. It stings because it takes us out of the league race, but there's still a chance for this team to finish you know, in the top four for the Big 12 seeding in Kansas City and on a two-seed line for the NCAA tournament. But to do that now, now you've got to play catch-up a bit because the last Tuesday has probably dropped the Jayhawks in the minds of most to a three-seed. Yeah, I think to your point with Kevin McCuller and, and going back to the game against BYU, yeah, I mean, you do have to kind of wonder, right, with a guy like that on the defensive end, if that doesn't significantly help Kansas in terms of, you know, trying to stay with their guys on the perimeter. And, and when you're playing a team like BYU, to me, I kind of got the sense that communication obviously is going to be vital, especially if you're going to be switching a lot and trying to stick with your guys. So I, I think I kind of agree with you on that point of, you know, Kevin McCuller out there probably does help Kansas uh, with their three-point defense in that game. Absolutely. Coach alluded to it today saying, you know, most media might not realize that Kansas is a top 10 defense statistically, and yet they haven't been when you don't have Kevin McCullough on the floor. When you got McCullough on the floor, you've got he and Harris, who either of them could have won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. It just so happens that DeJuan won it. But, man, you've got two legitimate you know, top 15, top 20 nationally defensive players. And so you've got to get him back to be close to optimal potential on this team. And obviously what he would do offensively would be so helpful as well because right now they're struggling to spread the floor to keep defenses honest. When he's not there as a perimeter threat and Furphy and Timberlake are combining to go one of 11 from three, which is what we saw Tuesday, of course the opponent defense is going to sag down more around Hunter and force tougher passes, force needles to be thread to get the ball into him. And many times he's catching it further from the basket as a result. And, you know, he still did a good job to finish with 17 and 11. We'll just remember that six of 15 free throw line for a long, long time. But the point is Kansas could give Hunter a lot more help if we had any kind of pulse on the perimeter right now. And hopefully in Johnny's case, it was just a, a blip on the radar. In Nick's case, I think he's gotten a lot better a lot of different things, but he's still not hitting threes with consistency. And at this point, you're four months in. You know, last year, he shot 42% with a 220-shot sample size. 
You know, now we're down to 26%, I believe 27% today was the number, some 15 percentage points less that we're four months into the year. Yes, it, it could still it come on in terms of the light coming on and, and the shots starting to fall, but it's just becoming smaller and smaller of a probability that that's going to be the case as, as the jump shots just will not go for Nick. But I like the fact that he's still attacking off the bounce. He's finishing at the rim. He's looking a lot better defensively in many regards, but uh, something he was brought in here to do remains a head-scratching mystery as to if it's ever going to get figured out here in the last four weeks of the season that's now four months old. Yeah, do you get the sense almost that, especially if, if Kevin McCuller is not able to play here against Baylor, maybe he got down the stretch he ends up missing maybe another game or two, kind of what you touched on with, with Nick Timberlake, that maybe just the margin for error for this KU team is a bit is smaller than maybe it has been in previous years to where you know, KU can't afford to have guys go 6-15 from the free throw line. KU can't afford to shoot under 40% from the floor in games if they want to try to win, whereas previously maybe they could still find a way to win those types of games. Oh, yeah. I mean, the margin for error on this team is as small as it's been in over a decade. I think, you know, 2012, we had a rotation as short as this one, but you had an elite-level shot blocker. You had a national player of the year candidate in T-Rob. You had you know, a great backcourt with Tyshawn and Elijah and, there were ways around being so thin in terms of depth. This team still has a lot of great pieces, but you know, right now the most important piece, more than likely, Kevin McCullough, it remains out. And the other pieces, though great in their own right, have all had moments of inconsistency to where without other options, uh, you know, other reserves to bring in on a cold shooting day for player A or player B, you just kind of got to ride with what you got. And the second half on Tuesday was an example where nobody had any kind of spark. And there certainly wasn't a spark coming off the bench with such a short rotation. But KJ, who was our best player in the first half and got the Old Dominion freight line player of the half read card that we always have to do, he goes one <laughs> of six in the second half. Furphy 0 for 5 from 3. Timberlake 1 of 9 in the ball game. And then Hunter Dickinson, I mean, we've not seen a big man star who's a good free-throw shooter struggle from the free-throw line like that since maybe Nick Collison in the 2003 National Championship game. You know, obviously, Yudoka was a big man star, but he was never a good free-throw shooter. Hunter should be. 73% a year ago in non-con play, he was up in the, the low to mid-80s for most of non-con play, but percent now and lead play has just you know really really struggled in that regard and it also goes to his three-point shooting unfortunately it was big that he hit that three to tie it at 66 all the other night but before that make he was three of his last 28 so clearly there's something confidence wise at least in the form shooting of of, of, uh, of hunter dickinson that you hope he can get over a guy who is as self-confident of a player as just about any i've covered you hope he can flush whatever mentally has gone on with his shot lately because the sample size on that slump has started to stretch out a little bit too. Not to the degree that we saw it on Tuesday night. That was clearly a high watermark going 6 of 15 in terms of uh, you know free throw struggles. I guess in this case the metaphor would be a low watermark. But the point is uh, this has been brewing for a while, going back to January with his free throw and three-point numbers. And you'd love to see him get over that because think of the weapon he was back in Chicago in the Champions Classic when he's throwing in threes and making gestures to the crowd. And every time he released it, you thought it was going in. Heck, he was hovering around 
48, 50% over the first month of the season for free, and he's just not been nearly the same guy. So, you know, you hope you get a heavy, healthy Kevin back. You hope you get a more confident shooting Hunter back. And then, you know, the, the question that, that we'll still scratch our heads wondering about is will they ever unlock that outside shot of, of Nick Timberlake on a consistent basis? Coach Self, as recently as Monday, said he still thinks that Nick's going to have multiple games down the stretch where he hits three threes in a given half. But, man, Tuesday was one of those games where you really could have used it, and Kansas just didn't have any kind of outside answer. Not to keep pace with BYU. We knew that wouldn't be the case. But to just have enough of a pulse on the perimeter to keep the defense honest and not have to sag off and sag down on Hunter Dickinson, that's where you really hope you can get Kevin back sooner rather than later. We're talking with Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, flipping the page from that Baylor game, K will try to bounce back, or flipping the page from that BYU game, I should say, K will try to bounce back against Baylor coming up on Saturday. And Brian, this is kind of a weird season for for Big Twelve and KU fans in a lot of ways because this is the first time where you're not seeing teams twice. Baylor is one of the teams that this will be their second meeting with Kansas after the Jayhawks uh, survived against them at Allen Fieldhouse earlier in the season. Well, what's what's kind of your thought on what will be the biggest key for KU to try to get a win again uh, against Baylor down in Waco? Well, you know, they forced, I believe it was 21 turnovers the first time they faced them. They didn't have to face Langston Love in the first meeting. And, and yet we still didn't close them out well, and they had a chance to tie it with, with multiple shots in the final seconds because we kind of uh, stumbled to the finish line, so to speak. But having said that, it, it was a big-time victory in which a turned-up Kansas team was able to play shorthanded and hold a really good offensive Baylor group that averages 82 a game to just 61 points. And they were feeding off the energy of their own crowd. And I don't know about you, but we're just such a different team, it seems like, watching us at home with the energy and activity level compared to on the road. It's not to say we come out sluggish all the time on the road, but sometimes at home, man, it feels like we got six guys out there swarming the ball and on the road, it's it's been difficult to match that same level of intensity and effectiveness. And I've had probably four different KU players in the last couple of weeks say to me in different interviews, and so this must be coming from the coaching staff because they've all said it, we have to punch first. We have to land that first blow first when we're on the road and, and be the aggressors, not waiting to react, but strike right from the get-go and, and assert our will feed off the crowd's, um, you know, the opponent crowd's energy because we're not going to be able to just lean on that like we do at home. And you know, for Kansas, this will be one of the more hostile environments they go into, even though it's a smaller arena. Obviously, this will be my first time going there, just 7,500 at the new Foster Pavilion. But huge, huge game for Baylor. They, they gave away an opportunity this time a week ago when BC missed a free throw at the end of regulation that could have beaten Houston in regulation, they wind up losing in overtime. And so they were that close to uh, a top five win of what is now the number one team in the country. And uh, they'll certainly be, you know, out for blood and out for revenge against Kansas here in the, the second go round, knowing that this is Baylor's last huge opportunity on their home floor, you know, to log a monumental win to really fall their own seating. So both of these clubs are effectively out of it for the Big 12 regular season crown, but they're both in prime position for the three seed in Kansas City while also being in danger of falling out of the top four 
which means you'd have to play on Wednesday in Kansas City, and neither wants that. The winner of this game on Saturday kind of has inside pole position to making sure you're, you're not playing until Thursday in the quarterfinals, which is why this Saturday game still means a ton. And Coach Self was asked about motivation for his team these next three with uh, you know the Big 12 title taken away. And, gosh, there's loads of motivation. I know we're bummed that we're not – rolling out an 18th Big 12 trophy in the last 21 years. It's crazy to think that they won 17-20, and which is 85% win percentage. That's nuts. It'll never be done again. But there's still so much to play for because right now your NCAA tournament seeding is is starting to drift a bit, and you want to stay on the two or the three line and not see any type of further plummet because you'd hate to face a one seed in the Sweet 16 if you were a four. So try to stay on solid footing for the big bracket while also giving yourself a uh, navigable path in Kansas City. The last thing this team needs is to have to start playing on Wednesday and potentially play four days in a row. I'm not sure they'd want to play four days in a row if that was the case, just in terms of trying to rest a team that's already um, you know, kind of limped into the finish line. Yeah. So lock up what you can do in these next three regular season games to stay in the top four seeds play into Thursday's you know, top four seed portion of the bracket in Kansas City. And then hopefully come Selection Sunday, this is still a two seed based on a couple of more quad one wins between now and then. Uh, if not, you know, maybe just fighting up from the three or the four line. But I still think that they're most likely a two or a three, and they've certainly got opportunities to solidify that with what lies ahead. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You'll be able to hear him, of course, on the call of that KU Baylor game coming up on Saturday, 12 o'clock tip right here on KLWN. Brian, appreciate your time as always. And before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. Yeah, big thanks to Nate Miller. Just as the Hawks have their game plan to take down BC and Walter and all these other talented Bears, he's got a game plan to give you your most prosperous financial future. He'll sit down and look at your current investment portfolio or start a new one with you today. Check him out at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Brian. Safe travels. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, here joining us on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. Two hours down, one to go at 5.05. Coming up on the other side, head baseball coach Dan Fitzgerald is going to join the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with KU's home for coming up tomorrow. That's coming up next. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320. K. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCSD podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk, your only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD podcast presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.